I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. like the most embarrassing job interview of my entire life this past <laughs> week um just for some context uh we are graduating yeah this oh weekend. my goodness um they you know this is published uh so you know looking for jobs just trying to figure some stuff out mm-hmm. um applied to barnes and noble because you know at least it's something yeah the love books yeah um the woman who works there mm-hmm. uh called me and asked me what kind of books I like to read. I thought we were just having a little conversation because she didn't ask me anything about like my hours or whatnot. Yeah. Asked me what kind of books I like to read. I told her, I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's like a fun opener to an interview question. Right, I was like, oh, we're just like chatting. Like it's just like a friendly thing. And I was like, I like to read like fantasy and like, you know, I've read like some nonfiction, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she ended the interview. (gasps) (laughs) Stop. Just enough. <laughs> she was like, we are interviewing other people, too. I say that like that was her voice, but her yeah. voice was actually like the cuntiest voice you can imagine. <laughs> Wait, what kind of cunt? Like, like you know, I is it know. giving slay? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. It's giving like, like dead inside. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, I could just feel the oh, middle like, management. Yeah, right. The contempt. Right. Through the phone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what? That just happened? <laughs> I was like, um, what is, what? Yeah, that's such an icebreaker question. Like, who just is like, enough? Like, that's the only question. That's all you've got. I didn't realize that people who worked for Barnes & Noble were so bitchy about their taste in books. Yeah, that's so wild. "Um." Because I also applied to some bookstores, some local bookstores, like, I don't know, a few months ago. And um, one of the bookstores also had that question. But it was at the end of, like, a, you know, I think it was, like, 10-question questionnaire of, like, other important stuff. And then it was just, like, a... It's what a kind fun of question. Do you like That's, to like, read? a question you ask just because you're, like, trying to get to know someone to yeah. vibe with you. But also, like, this is, like, a major store. Yeah. And also it was the only question she asked. That's bonkers. Um, and I was... I gave pretty, like vanilla answers because she was like what have you read recently and my brain was just like only fan fiction yeah for the last like (laughs) prepping for this series (laughs) i was like um i've Um, read real books i have i've done that yeah um maybe she was a sarah j mass fan i did say i read one of those but i didn't finish the series because i didn't like the first one oh so it could have been that because i I know those sarah j mass fans are are ravenous they're because it's most of my for you page yeah and i don't like them. Yeah, I'm more scared of Sarah J. Mass fans than I am of like K pop stands. Yes. And those people are like violently racist, but I feel like I've seen some crazy shit from Sarah, Sarah, Sarah J. Mass, J. Mass fans. fans are well. like, I don't know, they just feel like they're, they really want to go after like your personal insecurities. Yeah. Like they're not going to physically harm you, yeah. but they might emotionally harm you. Yeah. I, and I think her books aren't good. Yeah. And I know we're going to get shit for that, but we are. I have read two of them, mm-hmm. and both times I was like, Oh my god, I'm so fucking bored. Yeah. What's uh, what's her main series that everybody loves? Was Akatar. It's oh, not, that's right. The Court that's right, that's of right. Th- Thorns and Roses. Roses. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm like, they all sound the same. I was like, yeah. if Bones, Thorns, 
crowns, all of that shit. There's like why, 40 million books with those same three words. Why are fantasy authors still naming their books that way? Like, at some point, you're just part of the crowd. Yeah. I don't know. Um, maybe I just am not... I'm not, like, super into high fantasy anyways, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all of her books are, like, high fantasy. Yeah. Um, but also, all of her main characters, in my opinion, are just, like, extremely boring to read about because they're already, like, highly skilled. Oh, yes, you, right, okay, yes, I understand which series this is now, because I haven't even attempted to read them, because I'm too afraid. Yeah. Um, and I never will. Uh, oh, yeah, but I remember you telling me about this, of, like, the, just, like, there's no growth. Right. Like, uh, you already have, like, highly trained assassins, like, who cares? Yeah, I'm like, okay. They're it's like, the yeah, same reason I don't like assassin. Jason Bourne. It's like, you know, oh, he's just, like, super skilled, and then he just, like, fights against his own government, who also kind of help him sometimes, because they love drama. And it's like, right. okay, who cares? Like, there's no growth here. I'm like, how am I supposed to relate to this character who's, like, already, you know, been an assassin and then also in prison for several years, and now it's like she's having flirty conversations with boys, and I'm like, is this Shawshank Redemption or not? Like, I don't know what I'm reading. (laughs) Anyways, um, so that was a fun, embarrassing interview. I am a little bit more embarrassed for her than I am for myself. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's a high-key embarrassing thing to do. Um, But... It was very surreal. I just, yeah. like, sat there after she hung up, just like, what just happened? <laughs> like, so confused. That's so strange. Yeah, especially in a time where I'm, like, I don't know, I feel like there's got to be a lot of t- turnover in that kind of, like, major store, like, retail thing. Yeah. You need, like, employees often. And that's, like, all, you're going to be so picky. It's, like, right. based off of and their preferences. And I also preferences. have, like, management experience and yeah. the availability. Anyways, let's move on. Whatever. Oh, by the way, this is a podcast reject. <laughs> What's up? We have been gone. For, like, so long. For a long. while. <laughs> like, so long. Like, an embarrassingly long amount of time. But we needed it, though. Yes. Um, um, we were very close to being off the deep end. Yeah. I'll tell you that for free. Finishing school was a lot. Yeah. It was very exhausting. We both had to write extremely long papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're done now. We're done. We're officially done with law school and maybe school forever. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> like, uh, nothing has made me hate school more than law school. Yeah. A um, visceral reaction to the word school now. I will say that, personally, for me, law school was easier than undergrad. But I think it's mm. because law school professors really don't want to fail you. Um, yeah. But to celebrate our graduation, we are about to talk a lot of bullshit about copyright law, like yeah. we have any authority to do so. I think our last, like, IP-related course was, like, a year and a half ago <laughs> or something like that. So we've we've got a great authority on this matter. You know, we are... We know how to read. Um, <laughs> we've um, read things before, I'll I have, tell you that. I've read a book or two. Yeah. Barnes & Noble doesn't I've read sell, but... maybe half of a legal, like, article. So I know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I do know more than the TikTokers yes. who are out there talking about copyright law and fan fiction. Yeah. Like, they have any fucking authority to talk about it. It's at least we don't have the, like, blind confidence of a TikToker. Of a of- person that's <laughs> never even, like, read a law. Yeah, who, like, I don't think would be able to, like, name a single law, like, re- in, like, the IP. Like, just, like, the name of the statute. <laughs> right, you're like, what? what's the defense? Yeah. What, what are you talking about? Right. Because you're wrong. Yeah. And everybody is like... Like, tell me one factor of fair use. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can't? Well... At least I can. Lair <laughs> uh, is a very specific person. Obviously, I'm not going to say anything about them, but they do. They have made a series about book binding mm-hmm. um, for fan fiction, and they mm-hmm. think that that gives them the right to uh, tell us how copyright law is written 
And That's I, so it is extremely funny to hear someone say copyright law is written in a very specific way that, which is like. That's like literally the exact opposite. Copyright law is written like the way Luna Lovegood talks. Yes. Like it is the vaguest law you can imagine. Yeah. It's and then written. When it gets to court, they're like, we're just going to do whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every single time. It's written like they started the sentence and didn't know how it was going to end when they were writing it and yes. never went back to edit. They were just like, mm, that's good enough. Whatever yeah. came out of my head the first time, that's good. And then when they get to court, they're like, well, I don't know who that was who and wrote judges that. Judges will just be like, no, thank you. They're like, that's silly. We don't like that for this case. They're so like, wait, who's not going to do it? Who's in this case? Oh, big giant capitalist like company. Well, they get to win because of course they do. Yeah, I like them. I so. like them. Like, I'm actually I a pretty really... big fan of Disney, so Disney wins every time they're in court. I <laughs> they're really love the Mickey Mouse. <laughs> They're like, my granddaughter had the most fabulous time at Disney World last night. So I'm going to give this one to Disney. That's how it feels, like, reading these cases. I mean, we'll get to them They're in a Disney minute. stands. But it's very, like, two different judges in the same district yeah. making choices where you're like, okay. Yeah. These don't, these are, like, exact opposites of each other. But anyways, let's get into it. Yeah, um, here we go. This is going to be a lot of legal stuff, but I'm going to try to make it as interesting as possible. Yeah. Uh, we have some, you know, deep cut conversations. Hey, I um, mean, I, I think if anyone can do it, it can be us. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just stupid enough to make it interesting. Yeah, it'll be fun. Because if we were any smarter, it'd be boring. Yes. Because then you would, like, be learning You know, you, like, shit. talk to, like, a smart person about the law, and you're just you're like, like, boo, move on. I have no memory of that. <laughs> like, they two say, times speed. For real. <laughs> they say, like, one sentence, and I'm like, I forgot you were talking. They're like, um. I forgot I was supposed to be listening to this. I am very familiar with the way your freckles are lined up on your face, but I don't think that was the goal of this right. conversation. I'm just like, I'm just going to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for this, I did actually read like eight different journal articles. You did that thing. Um, three of them were written by one person. I think they're like a professor and they just keep writing articles I about love them. fan fiction. I was like, honestly, that's really funny that they're just like, this is my specialty. And yeah. they just keep writing them. They're all like super nuanced. Yeah. Um, so I did actually not just like Google like legal nonsense. Like right. these are actual like published articles. Mm-hmm. So at least hopefully they're right as of now. Yeah. Hopefully these people are right. And yes. then hopefully we understood how they were right. Right. I was like, <laughs> most of them were professors and not students. So I was like, okay, okay. that's at least a good start. Yeah. Um, so copyright law is the main thing that affects fan fiction, obviously, as far mm-hmm. as like intellectual property. Um, copyright law in the U.S. is to like, obviously protect a creator's expression. Mm-hmm. Um, however, our system differs from most systems internationally because we in the U.S. do not have a morality system. No. Um, so basically what this means is that in other countries, copyright law exists as a similar like way that immoral laws exist. So mm-hmm. like murder is immoral. Mm-hmm. It's also illegal, but it's immoral in its own right. Right. That's kind of how they see copyright infringement. So moral rights are the right to claim authorship of the work and to object to any distortion, mutilation, or other modification of, or prejudicial, wait, no, or other derogatory action in relation to the said work, which would be prejudicial to his honor or reputation. Mm, so that's, his, yeah, I know, for real, they're always I'm like, using is them. it capital H? Yeah, for real. I'm like, just use they, them, like, Honestly. Stop being weird. Um, Wait, quick tangent. Um, I just want to, like, just 
talk about this point because I hate it and it always makes me mad. But the people who, instead of doing, like, he slash she or doing they, because, like, I don't even care about he slash she anymore um, in, like, academic writing because, like, whatever. It's the people who just replace he with she. Like, they're, like, girl bossing. They're yeah. like, oh, like, the women's in charge now. I'm like, just shut the fuck up. Like, right. I swear to God. Um, the only time I like that is when I'm reading, like, a like, an exam question that involves her murdering someone. Okay, like, yeah. That's funny. That's fair. That she's a woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, okay, so that was a very, like, muddled way of saying basically, like, their right as a copyright holder extends to the fact that they don't want people, like, messing with their characters, messing with their story, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, you know, it's, it is an extension of copyright law, like, right. to another level. Mm-hmm. The U.S. doesn't really look at copyright law in the same way. All the IP law, so intellectual property law, which is basically copyright, trademark, patents, trade secrets, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. exists in the U.S. under, like, a utilitarian viewpoint. Yeah. So it's basically all for, you know, the greater good, mm-hmm. for the common good. So we don't really have moral laws because it in, it doesn't really line up with our belief that copyright laws exist as a public benefit. Right. So the reason that we have copyright laws is because they wanted to create incentive for creators to make their content Mm -hmm. so that they could make money off of it. Because if they couldn't make money and they couldn't, you know, make a living doing this, then less people are going to make stuff and that's bad for everybody. Right. Which I honestly think is the better opinion, but maybe I'm just brainwashed. But I honestly, (laughs) I'm like, I think that's a better, you know, we're, we're more about like maximizing creativity yeah. and creation in general. So trying to just put out as much content as possible, which that is like our major export in right. the United States. So yeah. it, kinda, it all lines up together. Mm-hmm. So this is important as far as like fan fiction when we're talking about it. We're not going to talk about fan fiction internationally because I... There's there's too much. It's way too much. That could be its own podcast. <laughs> not like, even like series, like a whole podcast. It literally could be. This is just in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and because of that, it is going to be different than, like, how fan fiction might be, you know, treated in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. But it changes the way that we look at fan fiction as far as copyright infringement, because as if it were, were moral rights protecting your work, somebody writing fan fiction of it is immoral. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, here, we're not really going to evaluate whether or not what they're doing is bad, or even if they're writing something that's bad. There's a lot more to it than that. So for copyright holders in the United States, they hold exclusive rights, which is Mm -hmm. basically what they're called, and it all falls under the umbrella of copyright law. Um, The holder of copyright is typically the author, Mm -hmm. um, but it can also be a company or like a trust. Um, It really just depends on the content. Because if you're looking at like Disney and those sorts of like mega corporations, Mm -hmm. people make content for them, but they hold the rights. It's not the person who created it. Right. So for the purposes of fan fiction, we're going to narrow down our conversation to three different exclusive rights. So that is reproduction rights, derivative work rights, and public distribution rights. Mm -hmm. Public distribution is the easiest to cover because fan fiction that isn't distributed um, is just like written in your diary or something. Like if it's, if anyone can read it, Mm -hmm. it has been distributed. It's pretty like easy threshold to meet. Right. Um, Reproduction rights uh, are typically the main purpose of copyright because mm-hmm. obviously it's like the right to copy yeah it's in the name it's it's <laughs> in there the word copy do be in it yeah it, it's <laughs> for sure they know that for sure um so 
It's obviously the right to keep other people from copying you, your work. It doesn't just cover this though, like it does extend a little bit farther. Um, it also covers improper appropriation. Mm -hmm. um, so where a sufficient amount of protectable elements of the work are copied and therefore render the two substantially similar. Mm -hmm. Um, that's also copying. It's more than just like a direct like copy and paste. Right. Um, fan fiction usually falls into this definition. Like it usually is infringing on this specific right because at, like as a fan fiction author, you have to use stuff from the relevant work in order to write fan fiction. Otherwise, it is just an original work. Right. Um, yeah, like, if you have based nothing on this fandom's canon, like, this work's canon, then it's like, yeah, you've written a completely different story. Right, you've just written something original that it doesn't apply. So, mm -hmm. usually this is important um, to fan fiction specifically. And then derivative works, we're going to have a full conversation about this, but basically a derivative work is a work that is based upon one or more pre-existing works. Um, so, it could be like a translation, a musical arrangement, dramatization, fictionalization, motion picture. So turning something into a movie is a derivative work mm -hmm. of that. So it's anything that's based on the work, but transformed to be its own kind of thing, right. typically in another medium, but it can also be in the same medium and just different. Right, like a spinoff series, what have you, things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, copyright infringement as well falls within strict liability typically. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically what this means is that it, your intent doesn't matter. So if you write something and you don't have an intention of um, making profit off of it or like you're trying to just like compliment the writer with it, it doesn't matter. Like your actual intent about it doesn't matter. Again, that kind of goes back to the moral rights thing. Like mm -hmm. you as a person it's not really important. Like we're just going to look at the works yeah. um, in both directions. Right. Um, like how unfortunate it was that the last Star Wars movie was made the way it was like fan fiction that rewrites the ending in a much better way, even though morally I agree <laughs> it is much better than the original work on, you know, still copyright, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you know, it's like, if they didn't have the uh, strict liability applies to most things. So it's like if they didn't have the intention of distributing it and it's still distributed, they still, infringed on their copyright right regardless of their intent mm -hmm. so like that's kind of important for it so derivative works is like the main place where people talk about fan fiction even though it does fall under the reproduction works but it's very much like all things in copyright a gray area yes so part of this is because a derivative work comes from another copyrighted work and they're taking elements from it into their work. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for courts to figure out what parts of the story can be removed from it and then copyrightable, mm -hmm. be copyrightable. So that like one of the easiest ways to describe this is with character use. So it's like characters per se are copyrightable mm -hmm. typically. However, again, like it's a gray area. So if you have a character named John who has, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes and it's like he's just some guy. Right. It's way less likely that he is going to be, you know, copyrightable versus like Voldemort, who is extremely recognizable as a very original name. Mm -hmm. uh, they're also way easier to be copyrightable in a visual format, so like movies and TV shows right. than they would in books. Mm -hmm. um, so the use of characters to create your own work would make that a derivative work, typically, right. if the characters that you're using are copyrightable. Mm -hmm. um, 
this tip, you know, typically meets the threshold of a derivative work and therefore like infringes on their copyright. But the other reason that this is a big issue in fan fiction is that a lot of scholars in the IP field don't agree with the way the courts have written the laws about derivative works specifically. Right. So a lot of them believe that basically it's gotten out of hand. <laughs> it's extended way farther than it ever was intended to yeah. and essentially gives creators or owners of copyright a monopoly on the product. Mm -hmm. So it's giving them too much power and then it works against the utilitarian ideas of IP law in general. Right. Um, it hurts everybody if we give them a monopoly to these characters or whatever their mm -hmm. copyrightable material is. Yeah, because especially like, you know, when you get into like big you know, series of things like, for example, Harry Potter, which is ginormous. It's its own world. Like there's so much that goes on. It's like, you know, it, it can become a very slippery slope when you have that much detail to work with, if it can permeate into any form of like creativity and right. art. And then it's like, nobody can write about magic anymore. You know, like you don't want to get to that point. Right. It's, it was like, um, Disney trying to like put trademark and like copyright protection on like Day of the Dead. Yeah, that was crazy. You know, that was out of pocket. I don't know who who went you know forward with that, but it, it's those sorts of things where it's like these general ideas, and then suddenly nobody can write within them. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain things, in, especially like in stories that are not copyrightable, like genres mm -hmm. are not copyrightable, despite the Omega verse stuff they that we were going to really talk about later. They really tried it. They really tried it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it it definitely makes it a little bit more difficult for people to make any kind of content mm -hmm. when the law is very lopsided as far as going for these original creators. And then when you also have people that are copyright or companies that are copyright holders with a ton of money, mm -hmm. really powerful lawyers. Yeah. Like very like aggressively litigious. Yes. Like yeah, it can get messy really right. quick. It's it's bad for everybody when that happens. So it's definitely like a, a sore spot, I think, within the discussion of fan fiction. Cause it's like, yes, it's typically a derivative work if you're making fan fiction, but mm -hmm. it's like, should that really be important to this conversation or is it extending too far? But, right. Um, it's like derivative works on their own is so touchy and then it comes in with especially like um, this very looked down upon field of fan fiction because right. it's women dominated, because it's young women dominated, mm -hmm. um, and is seen as like lesser kinds of art, uh, you know, adds to the sore spot, like, you know, definitely adding hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> I didn't include this because I felt like it was a little bit above my um, comprehension level, but mm. one of the, I think it was the person who has written several articles about fan fiction and like the law, but they, part of their article, they talked about the way that fan fiction is viewed mm -hmm. and the way that that has affected these cases specifically. Yeah. Um, which it was super detailed, but I, again, I was like reading it and I was like, honestly, I can't even like, I don't even understand this. Um, but that's definitely a conversation within like, you know, the people who are actual lawyers trying to protect people's rights within fan fiction. Right. Okay. So that's typically step one is like, does it violate somebody's copyright? Right. Is it copyright infringement? Typically, yes. Mo most, most of it is. Yeah. Uh, real person fan fiction is not. We right. will talk about, I have a section on that later. Because um, <laughs> it's a whole other bag of worms. Well, it's just like, it's its own thing. Yeah. Um, because famous people get, can get really upset and it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't apply. But if, if you're making it off of a copyrighted work, it's, you know. Infringement. Yes. Yeah. So now we can move on to 
like defenses to copyright, which there's really only one that's super important, which is the fair use defense, Mm -hmm. Um, which basically means if you go to court for copyright infringement, even though it's strict liability, your intent doesn't matter, we're not going to cover that. Mm -hmm. Like the court's not going to address your intent. Fair use can be brought up as a defense to that charge. Right. That suit. Mm -hmm. So fair use protects certain works that are like, copying copyrighted materials, Mm -hmm. but for a limited or transformative purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, So typically like the most easily identifiable versions of this would be like parodies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a parody is its own original content. It's based on something else, but it's like fully transformative because it's made for the purpose of poking fun at the original thing. Right. It can be done without the permission of the copyright holder Again, I think this would interfere with like moral rights if we had them because they would not, fair use would not really come into play as much if there was a moral protection of it. Right. Um, But with this, it doesn't really matter whether or not the original creator approves of it because if it falls under fair use, then it is fine. Yeah. Like it's not considered copyright infringement from that point on. Right. Um, So fair use as a defense came up first in a case, and then it was later codified in 1976. It's split into four factors. Mm -hmm. So that is the purpose and character of the use, um, the nature of the copyrighted material, the amount and substantiality of the portion used, Mm -hmm. and the effect that the use has upon a potential market. Um, I'm going to unpack them. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's nonsense. Um, But... Just be aware that these are not, like, you know, hard factors that they need to hit. Basically, through cases, they have decided that the first and fourth factors are the most important. Mm -hmm. And the other two can play a part. Like, they kind of can balance them out. But this is what I mean when I say, like, it's super vague and judges can do whatever they want. Because tests like this are basically like, yeah, balance these things. Yeah. But what they're telling the court is they're like, when you're evaluating, look at this stuff. Yeah. And then just make a judgment call. Yeah. They were like, just look at these things. And then however you look at them, however much you want to look at them, that's up to you. Yeah. They're like, um, just suss out the vibes. Right. Basically is what they said. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to unpack these. Okay. So the first one is the purpose and character of the use, including whether such use is of a commercial nature or is for nonprofit educational purposes. Mm-hmm. So... This originally, and this is why I think that person on TikTok, the person that made me so mad, mm-hmm. um, said the thing about fan fi- like copyright laws written in a very specific way that fan fiction is okay as long as you're not making money off of it. And I think it was this that they read and did not understand, right? And didn't realize that it's like it's not specific; it's copyright law, and also like case law has existed since the '70s. Mm-hmm. So like since it was passed, like there's other things at play here. Yeah. Um, because basically what courts have decided originally, you know, originally they would look at the commercial element to it, you know, is it for profit or not, but it evolved from that to be more about the transformative use. Mm -hmm. So it's not about if you're making money or not, it's about whether or not the piece of content you have made is transformative enough Mm -hmm. to not be copyright infringement. Right. So as far as like fan fiction, most fan fiction is highly transformative. It's mm-hmm. pretty easy to make this like, you know, you're looking at fan fiction in general. It's pretty easy to say that it's highly transformative because typically it takes characters or, you know, settings and shifts them into their own original stories. Mm-hmm. Um, they can exist within like, 
canon, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a second as far as like if it's a fan fiction that's just out of pocket, like yeah. it's an AU or some nonsense, right. or if it's like it's Harry Potter but written from Ron's point of view, so everything is canon, mm-hmm. it's just an addition to it. Right. So, you know, those that's kind of how they would weigh that as far as like transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, and say what you will about super sexual fanfics, but those babies are not canon. Yeah. They're <laughs> like transformative they are as fuck. Barely on canon. They are so transformative. <laughs> For real. I'm like, all you gotta do is add smut in there. You're and safe. Then suddenly the creators are running. <laughs> <laughs> Shaking in their boots. <laughs> Shitting and crying and throwing up. <laughs> Um, so Take the, that, Anne Rice. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Get out of here, Anne. Um, so, R.I.P. <laughs> so the second factor is the nature of the work. This is not super important to fan fiction because fan fiction comes from like a copyrighted original work. Right. This factor is more important when we're looking at things that are copyrighted that are utilitarian in nature. So like... Like uh, there was a, a case, a copyright case that had uh, to do with like... Um, I know there's the phone accounting book one, books. Yeah, there's but phone I was books. trying to think of something that was more relevant to today. Yeah, um, yeah, that one's hella old. Um, so that could be like if you were just like listing facts in a book. Yeah, or the accounting books is fine because there's like QuickBooks now, or like you know when you do your taxes or um, and you want to keep track of your expenses, like if you're running a business. Um, you you kind of keep them together in kind of a standard form. Like you keep like um, expenses, income, all of that with like different factors. Maybe you alphabetize your items or you do it by date of when you bought it. Things like that, like those kinds of like categories, like the way those form, those form templates are. They can have some variation to them in like color or organization, but they're pretty much like all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that kind of stuff is really hard to copyright right. because it's more about the... Um, the usefulness and the functionality aspect. Like if it's the design elements are not really that transformative or, you know, um, give any room for like creativity. It's like because the items are so functional, it can't be copyrightable. Right, exactly. So it's basically just if it's more functional or factual in nature, it has less protection. So again, not really relevant to fan fiction. Yeah. The third factor is the amount of the like work and it's not just like a quantity amount it also has a qualitative aspect to it so it's you know how much of this content have they taken to make make it their own mm-hmm. so basically again like this is the second and third factor is not as important in courts like they kind of weigh the first and fourth more um because basically with the third factor what the court is looking for is whether or not they used more of the original content than they needed to to satisfy their purpose in their own original content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's really unclear as far as like where this would play in the fan fiction discussion. Um, you know what what parts are like the whole work and how would this be measured? It, I, you know the case law in fan fiction is slim it is um so but you know this is not as an important of a point so it's like not as big of a deal that it's super super gray area yeah but you know typically we would say a, a fan fiction that just uses the characters is probably like uses less of the original content than if they're using like major plot points in the original story so like if right. you took those characters and put them in a you know like modern college AU or something like that might probably weigh less as far as something that's like in canon and all of these other elements. Right. 
And then the fourth factor is the effect that it has on the potential market. So the reason that this is against the first factor is they both have to do with money, mm -hmm. which is the whole point. Yeah, <laughs> it's all about that money. Um, and it's also why the first one became less important. So here what they're looking for is not how much money you're making mm -hmm. as a fan fiction writer. It's basically how your fan fiction affects the market of the original creator. So it's like, right. does your fan fiction work in place of what the original writer created? Mm -hmm. Could it be used as a substitute? And if so, then it is affecting your potential market. Right. Um, so that's why it's like, it's not really about the money you make because not only has the first factor been changed into this transformative use mm -hmm. away from like whether it's for profit or not. Right. But it's weighed against the profit that the other person can make, not your own. Right. So you making money off of fan fiction doesn't make it like not fair use or, you know, it's copyright infringement most likely, but it, you know, it probably is not going to affect the fair use discussion. Which is like a very hotly contested point um, in a very sore spot for these kind of like larger um, companies mm -hmm. or like estates of like larger creators because they're making so much money that like it's almost impossible that this like one person like creating works is like going to really like have anywhere close to the, you know, an impact like on these like ginormous works that are right. like just, you know, shilling out money constantly. Um, so, uh, you know, a hot point, especially for companies like Disney, uh, because it's hard for them to prove. <laughs> right. And this is like, I don't know, it kind of, it could get into very, very, you know, specifics if this was something that was like going to court all the time. Mm -hmm. Fan fiction almost never goes to court. No. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff we've already talked about, like Anne Rice being crazy, and Rice's issue with fan fiction was a moral issue. She mm -hmm. didn't want people manipulating her characters for their own, you know, whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not really about like you're taking money from me. So mm -hmm. that's really the only time that it makes it to court is when people are making money. Right. Because it means that actual money is at play. I right. think that's another thing that people get confused about is they're like, oh, when you look at the case law, it's only people that have been making money. So that must mean that it's you, if you don't make money, you don't go to court. And yeah. that's not true. That's like not they true. can still take you to court if mm -hmm. they wanted to. It's just less likely that they're going to give a shit. Yeah, and they, they also rely, too, on um, smaller creators not having the access to, you know, huge legal teams and not knowing the law. So they can do a lot of things, like, with what Anne Rice did of sending, like, cease and desist and whatever to, like, just intimidate you outside of court. Right, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. Yeah, we'll too. talk about, yeah, um, not get into it right now. Yeah, because <laughs> so I was like, it, it's a whole a section that I've written literally, like, discuss this. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, as far as, like, the fourth factor, you know, it could also be, like, we're looking at, again, like I was talking about, stories that are completely original, like in a college AU, mm -hmm. versus something that takes place fully in canon. And so if, like, you're writing about a character where it's possible that that author could go and write about them, does your story, like, actually affect their marketplace? So an example of that would be All the Young Dudes, which mm -hmm. is a extremely long in-depth story about the original like marauder characters in harry potter so mm -hmm. that's like harry potter's parents and then remus lupin Sirius black whatever it's not canon <laughs> whatever fuck you peter <laughs> yeah, i'm like there's <laughs> peter there's mary there's another mary it doesn't matter it's not that God, interesting that's so british to have multiple marys <laughs> in a story like fuck you oh my god technically your name is marlene but when i read it i'm just reading the first three letters that's the so same I'm like, name it's the other mary and i don't care about either of them marlene is Ma that's the same name right 
I'm like, is this just a nickname? Is this the same character? Anyways, um, but that is a story. So it's not canon because obviously it is about Remus and Sirius dating, and that's never been confirmed as canon. Right. But it does follow all of the beats of canon that we know about these characters, which is limited. Mm-hmm. So it's like if she wanted to go and write something about the Marauders, does that now make that work more effective as far as like its um, effects on her potential marketplace. Right. Like um, if, you know, people are so, if this work is so popular and people are completely satisfied with this story of Sirius Black and um, Remus Lupin, like, it, yeah, would that affect her ability to be, be able to like make that story herself and exactly. actually be able to profit off it? That's exactly right. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about with these like two cases. There's two like cases that actually have like decisions written about them because a lot of time what happens is that they if they ever get brought into court they get dismissed or handled mm-hmm. you know? i was gonna say off camera but that means- <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny um <laughs> they mute the mic on stream yeah for that, for yeah. that combo yeah. sorry <laughs> so um the first one was about a fan fiction called the wind done gone which was a retelling of Gone with the Wind with a new <laughs> original character inserted into the original story. So it's like kind of like a parody, I think, based yeah. on the name. Um, I'm like, that's so funny. Yeah. When done gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, this court, when evaluating it, did find that fair, like, the fair use defense worked because they said this was transformative enough because it was a parody. And the purpose of the parody was like commentary and criticism of the original work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that outweighed any impact, like commercial impact it would have on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only is it like, it's not really affecting the market, but it's also like it actively outweighs it, which is the other thing about these, uh, four elements is that right. they can just be like, yeah, it's affecting the market. It's more important that we look at it being transformative. Like it's, it's transformative enough that even though it's affects your market, that doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. So Cause again, it's so transformative. Yeah. If I hear one Balancing more person. Balancing test. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's all about the vibes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how, you know, it's dependent on that Dunkin' Donuts worker making the perfect coffee for that judge in that morning and they're in a good mood. Yeah. And then they make the right decision. Right. <laughs> and like this kind of stuff where it's like, we're getting in the nitty gritty. You'd have to read both of these books. Like how annoying as a judge. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, at some point you just got to wing it. Yeah. Um, you're like, you don't have the time. The other case. <laughs> is- like imagine that you're reading something and you're like, it's just bad. So I'm going to like vote against them. Yeah. I just don't like it. It's not good. Um, So the other one is a fanfic titled 60 Years Later, Coming Through the Rye, Mm. um, which is obviously a Catcher in the Rye fanfiction, which I can't imagine a more boring thing to write fanfic about, but that's just me personally. So, like, uninspired. And, like, how dare you? Like, it's, like, (laughs) offensive to me. I'm like, ugh. How boring that is. Um, But basically, this fanfiction was about the protagonist, but as a 76-year-old man. So it just was, like, you know, literally six years later, let's check up and on them. <laughs> um, the courts basically ruled against the fair use defense here because they said that altering the age and altering the setting was not enough to be transformative of the work. Um, again, this is like, it's just, it's just vibes because the other thing that they decided is also that the structure between the books was too similar and outweighed the small transformative elements, which it's like, I don't know what that means mm. without having looking like looked at the books. They did, I read the case decision. Right. But it's it definitely feels like they just didn't like it because yeah. it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, changing the age and altering the setting, they're saying that's not transformative enough. Mm-hmm. But that would cover 
the bulk of fan fiction. Like, there's got to yeah. be a ton of fan fiction that's literally just they're older now. Like, let's hear about these characters, but 10 years later. Yeah. Um, it seems like a weird, like, line in the sand to draw when it's, like, the idea of the, um, like, thinking of, like, trying to evaluate what the author could possibly write. And I'm like, sure, I guess, like, that is feasible that a sequel would be, like, a time skip. Like, that would be, like, a normal thing as a basis for a sequel. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, they're going to write a sequel on their own that happens to be a 60-year time skip or whatever, and then the story ends up exactly or even remotely the same. Like, that, it's, like, weird. It's, like, backwards in my mind of, like, they. that's all they did like, that was the only thing they changed, so they have, like, this whole world of stuff to work with. Like, how right. is that person, like, the original creator, then have a right to the fact that the character is 60 years older? So any story that they happen to be at 60 years older, they now get claim over? Like, that's, right. it seems weirdly backwards to me. It just seems like, it, again, like, it's just way overextended. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we look at both of these cases, and it's sort of just, like, it really feels like vibes. Like it very much feels like it is such a gray area that mm-hmm. they they really could just read them and not like them yeah. or just whatever. Do you think what they meant by like the uh, what did they say the uh, second point was? The book were too similar in structure. Yeah, like did they mean like they the person who wrote it second like tried to write the book as if it was like in the voice of the original author? Like what do they mean by structure? That's like, the thing is like I don't know. It's like story arc some, because like, like judges can just like make precedent and then not clarify. Yeah, I'm like. I, okay like if you're gonna be making this kind of decision like can you let us know what the fuck you're saying right. like you don't just like throw it out like in two words and be like you get it I'm yeah like, i like, don't i i am promise you yeah i don't know like listen I, i'm dumb I as shit what but they i don't mean know. is like what i would guess is that they are using that as an argument as far as the fourth factor by saying that like somebody could pick up this book and think if they didn't know who wrote Catcher in the Rye, like okay. they didn't know the author's name, that they could believe that it was written by the author. Right. This is like a genuine sequel or something. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's what I think they mean. But again, mm-hmm. it was like, it, it was very vague. Like, how um, is this your whole job? And you're not like, like your whole job is to write these out in words, like write the words, bitch. No, oh my God. They, they don't care. Um, so those are, like, the really main cases. There are ca- other cases in fanfic, but these are the ones that actually have, like, decisions that have any kind of bearing on how we would look at fanfiction, like, the actual details and not just as, like, a hard rule. Mm-hmm. Um, very much getting to the same petty point of if you were saying copyright is written in a specific way, then you are wrong in all parts like, of copyright, but especially here. I'm like, if you, the specific is not followed up by Lee Vague, you're wrong. Yes. It's it's written in a very specifically vague way. Right. That's the only thing that you can say about copyright as a blanket rule and be right about it. Right. Um, so it kind of like, well, I just want to talk about published fan fiction really quick and not the like Fifty Shades of Grey kind. <laughs> yeah. Because that's a different conversation. But um, I, that, you know, that TikTok that I'm talking about came from a video where somebody had ordered a bunch of like book bound versions of their favorite fan fiction mm-hmm. and they were like selling those mm-hmm. um book binding is a service that you can like pay people to do kind of like an etsy kind of thing mm-hmm. and they'll charge you only for the materials and like their time mm-hmm. and so they're like we're not actually selling fan fiction but um 
I do think it's important to note that it's like, it's not actually bad to just sell fan fiction or make money off of it. No. Um, because fair use can still matter, especially in these like highly transformative, like, you know, you talk like Manicold, which mm-hmm. we'll get into when we get into like the Harry Potter world, is a super popular Draco Hermione fic that is like Voldemort wins and it is insane and it has all these other elements. It is very different from the books. Mm-hmm. I would say that you could sell that pretty easily. Um, instead of just trying to like do as a workaround where you're just selling as like a book binding. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was like the video where she was reacting to somebody doing that. And she's like, please don't do this because this makes it illegal. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't. like, this is not the point. It's just there. You're more likely to get taken to court mm-hmm. if you're making like hella money off of it. Right. But it doesn't actually make it right that they're doing so, mm-hmm. um, which will lead us into the conversation about, you know, how it affects small creators Mm -hmm. Uh, but to get there let's talk about where the websites come in um, yes which we've talked about this a little bit so it brings us to the dmca which basically introduces an immunity to internet service providers um so they're not liable for infringing materials in the uh, internet service provider systems or networks as long as they don't know about it meaning like actual knowledge Mm -hmm. so like they can see it and somebody told them um yeah so they have immunity to like any sort of copyright infringement unless somebody follows like a notice and takedown procedure to actually get it taken down. So notice and takedown procedure within this is where copyright holders can send stuff to websites where it includes like an authorization that they are the right holders for that, you know, copyrighted work. And then they identify what is being, you know, what work is copywriting theirs and then must provide like, um, must provide reasonably sufficient contact information for the rights holder, a statement of good faith belief that the work were not authorized, and a statement that the person is authorized to act on behalf of the owner or rights owner. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like a, hey, don't do that email. Like, there is actual elements they need to meet. Otherwise, these websites can just do nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was really important. We talked about fanfic versus AO3, where fanfic doesn't do this. Fanfic got... They pulled a bunch of shit from Anne Rice the moment she, like, made a fuss. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fanfic.net, in case someone's, I don't know, for some bonkers reason, listening to these out of order. Right. But, yeah. Fanfiction.net, they did that. And then AO3 has, like, an actual page where they talk about DMCA, like, takedown notices. They have an actual legal team because their company is a lot bigger than just their individual website. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a good example when talking about this is YouTube because this is where it comes into play a lot more. So YouTube does a very specific thing where somebody can just take down somebody else's work or make it so any money they make off that work, like AdSense, so money that they're making from mm-hmm. an ad before the video gets sent to them rather than the, the you know, person who uploaded it. Mm-hmm. And in order to, you know, go against that copyright infringement claim, YouTube just sends it back to the original creator, the person who said that this is copyright infringement and is just like, yeah, is it copyright infringement? And they can just say yes. And then it can result in a copyright strike of your YouTube channel. And if you get three of those, it can be taken down permanently. Um, So this would be an example of a website that is like, obviously YouTube is huge, but very much disconnected from the content creators yeah and not willing to protect them in any way mm-hmm. whereas AO3 obviously a much smaller thing but it's they're committed to protecting fanfic writers mm-hmm. and making sure that they are not getting their shit taken down 
just for any reason. Right. Um, because <laughs> this is actually, okay, this is a tangent. Mm-hmm. We took a video game law class like two summers ago or something. We sure did. Um, with the most insane teacher. Yeah. Who I did check and is no longer teaching that class. I'm Period. sure it had at least something to do with the reviews that I left because I was like vicious. Yeah. He, she like, slayed the reviews. <laughs> he like hated us. He was terrible. Yeah. He's um, like deeply misogynistic. Anyways. Yes. Um, not going to. Didn't do blind grading. So fuck that guy. But in the like final class, I sort of got into an argument with him about the way YouTube doesn't protect people like gaming, like streamers, mm-hmm. um, because they don't actually do anything with these takedown notices. They just immediately take it down. They don't look into it. Mm-hmm. And by sending it back to the person who sent the notice, they're basically making them say, oh, yeah, fair use doesn't apply. So I was like, yeah. So they're never going to evaluate it under fair use yeah. when they can just choose not to because yeah. they know that the people who are making these YouTube videos cannot fight back. Yeah, they don't have, like, the resources, you know, financially or whatever, legally, whatever, yeah, to fight back. Yeah, they don't have lawyers. Like, a lot of these people are not power. Like, they're not doing this shit to, like, ninja, these super powerful, like, really famous people. They're Mm -hmm. doing it to small creators. That's Mm -hmm. the people who pay the price for this. And I do remember in that class where he was like, they have to look at fair use. And I was like... It just made me think of, like, that vine where it was, like, like, really old video where it was like somebody's breaking into my house and mm-hmm. it's like they're not doing that that's illegal yeah like they can't do that they can't illegal. do it it's illegal <laughs> it's like that's like, why i'm calling 991 like, <laughs> it's like yeah like but they're doing it so like can you like deal with that or right. whatever like they're breaking the law like, they're like but they can't break the law because like they're not supposed to it's yes. like oh my god I'm yeah like, it's what like incentive is there for them to actually obey the law when they could just make money and have no like yeah, why would they just be like, oh, my be you can have the money back. No. Like, they're never going to make that they decision. They have no actual, like, potential consequences, so they're not going to give the money back. Like, right. they don't need to. They it don't was want like, the to. The law is meaningless if there is no way to, like, actually enforce it. Right. And so YouTube basically makes it so anybody that is a creator, especially if you're a small creator, you are fucked. Yeah. I mean, it would be like if you reported your mother's murder to the police, and the police went to the person that you have now said you, wa- you witnessed them commit this murder and they're like did you commit this murder and they're like nah that wasn't me they're like all right like he said he didn't do it like he He literally cannot truth we're the cops we're like he can't lie to us like we're the police (laughs) and it's like um he's literally lying to your face right now it's like like, but he can't like that's against the law i we i don't know if you remember that class but i like it is burned into my brain he's saying that and then him being like they have to look at fair use and i'm like they're not going to and he's like they have to look at it and i'm like it's not like they're having to provide their reasoning for yeah. why fair use. They can just say, fuck no, mm-hmm. give us the money. Yeah. Like, what? No, because I remember that because you brought up the point and then he was just like, yeah, it's like so simple. And then I tried to bring up like, you know, a slightly different, I don't remember exactly what I said, but trying to like word it in a different way to like get him to like grasp what we were saying. And I think he started to like understand after that and but then was like still fighting it back and then the other another woman in the class also tried to support our argument being like no i think i understand what they're saying because he was kind of had this air of like you guys don't know what you're talking about yes and then she was like no but i think i understand their argument and then reworded it another way which i don't remember what she said either and i wish i did because it was really smart the way she worded it and then i think he realized he was backing himself into a corner and like 
but he like wouldn't stop. Like no. he was just doubling down. It was like, like I think there was a certain a certain point where he knew he was wrong. Like I think he was being very dismissive to you because again he hated you the most. I hated me yeah, from, the he, me, from the from like, the moment I was in that class. Like minute one, like it was insane. <laughs> like he hated you, and then I think he like didn't really like me, but like whatever was like kind of indifferent. So then he was like more willing to listen to me, but still being like you don't know what you're talking about. I mean I think that third woman, I think like. He didn't respect anybody, but I think he like understood that like he was now in yeah, a and then he was bad very much position like, because like moving on. yeah because it was like three people were like telling him like different ways of like needling his arguments and realized he couldn't just like brush it off as like one right. student isn't getting it because like three different people are giving valid arguments right against and the him. people who aren't talking it's not like they're agreeing with you that class was crazy because yeah. it was only seven of us yes um no white men in the None. class but um we but the professor were, was obviously yes definitely um as white man as you can get um i've never been like i was just so much contempt yeah and they were like actual lawyers in that class yes like, llm students people who like one of them had been working as a trademark lawyer for, for like, like Seven, seven plus years, years. yeah. Uh, oh my you know, God. and even to her, he was like not only a trademark lawyer; she was working at the trademark office, right? Yeah, like oh. in DC. I mean, I, I was just the kind of thing where it was like he was very stupid. He was so stupid. Um, which again, he is no longer teaching that class. Period. Um. Anyways, we could talk about this for days. Yes, but, <laughs> but it, the point is that. You know, these protections are really important, but they're only important if they can actually be, you know... Enforced. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's like AO3 being dedicated to this, writing legal articles about this, mm-hmm. and having, like, a legal team for their entire, you know... Because AO3 is part of a bigger... Cor- we talked about it in their episode. But right. big, a bigger corporation that's all about fandom mm-hmm. and just protecting it in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important that they set aside the ability to do this and mm-hmm. they don't just take down anything willy-nilly. Like, they really pursue whether or not it's fair use and all of this stuff. So... Basically, that is the explanation of what, you know, how fan fiction interacts with the law as far as, like, just standard fanfic. Making money is not really that important. Mm-hmm. Selling in bound books is not really that important. Yeah. The websites do hold a lot of power there, but um, they may or may not support you. Fanfic.net will not. No. Um, they will throw you on the, under the bus so quick. If it, yeah. Fanfic.net is not, you know, it's very much a... You look at websites as far as, like, are they for the users or not? Mm -hmm. And that's very much what you're seeing with that. I mean, YouTube is the definitely the, like, big bad as far as not caring about small creators. They couldn't give less of a fuck. No, they don't care. Um, They would spit in your face if they could. Yes, definitely. So I want to talk about commercialized fan fiction. I know we talked about just bookbinding. So Mm -hmm. this is actually, um, like, Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm -hmm. So this is fan fiction that was like it was written by a fanfic author and then they change characters maybe some story elements like the names you know plot points whatever and then they edited it and published it mm-hmm. and so it's sort of like how does it actually like affect copyright infringement mm-hmm. and you know this conversation so the main thing when looking at this is like how similar is it to the original copyrighted material because it's not actually transformative so when you're looking at like you know, E.L. James's work, mm-hmm. you're not actually evaluating it under, like, fair use, so it doesn't matter how transformative it is or any of this other bullshit because mm-hmm. it's technically an original work once they publish it, but if it has things that are still super similar, even though they changed names, mm-hmm. like, if he was also a vampire and, you know, all of this stuff and they basically just changed his name, then 
that wouldn't really be an original work. It would just fall under standard copyright infringement and fair use would yeah. not play a part. Right. Um, so it's, Which, just in case if anyone lives under a rock, Fifty Shades is based off of Twilight, just to be clear. Right. Um, <laughs> surely you know that. Uh, I'm like, if you, don't, if you don't, go back to episode one. You need to start over. Right. Oh my God. You're failing this class. <laughs> so I also want to talk about real person fan fiction really quick. This mm-hmm. is a pretty easily knocked out portion. Yeah. Um, so this would be something like after, but even the original stuff with the original names. Um, there is no copyright infringement because there is no original copyrighted work. Mm-hmm. So it can't be copyright infringement. So typically when someone's evaluating this, it would be under like trademark law or um, privacy laws. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Telling the story of a real person is generally protected anyways, mm-hmm. and then adding in fake elements, as one would do in fan fiction, um, kind of just makes it more... It, it builds its armor against these claims that it's whatever, you mm-hmm. know, trademark, against their trademark or against their privacy rights, whatever. Because right. um, even if you're writing, like, a true story about someone um that's not necessarily going to you know affect their privacy rights whatever especially with a famous person so um trademark claims would probably be pretty common but the trademarks have to identify the holder of the trademark as the source of the goods and products so that's what the purpose of trademark is you see nike Mm -hmm. you know that you're getting a nike product and therefore they're responsible for the product you're getting Mm -hmm. that's why trademarks are important so that you can have like reliability in corporations um, so trademark as far as celebrities is already very narrow. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of cases about that. They have very narrow protections with under trademark law, but even the things that they do, um, this probably would not work Yeah. because no. it's not like someone is writing a story about Harry Styles and then someone is looking at that and that is a recognizable product of Harry Styles. Right. Like Harry Styles made that, especially if it's fan fiction mm-hmm. and it is has all of these transformative elements. Um, it also probably um, would affect, you know, free speech, like First Amendment issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just be very difficult for this to work in court at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not that anybody's like really bringing cases about that, mm-hmm. but um, as far as privacy rights, uh, these don't really violate any privacy concerns um, because they're highly fictional. So yeah. nothing private has been shared. They're just like, about their public persona, mm-hmm. but it's not their, like, individual life. It's not like they're invading their privacy by writing these, right. um, no matter how uncomfortable they are about reading someone wanting to have sex with them, which, honestly, just ignore it if you're that famous. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I feel like you've got other things to be worried about. <laughs> right. And it's, like, even more so with privacy rights. Privacy rights are very difficult to apply to celebrities. Again, yeah. that's, like, a huge huge issue that we're not going to even touch because it yeah. doesn't matter to us but it's like it, it's very hard to have you know privacy rights get diminished mm-hmm. if you you know the more famous that you are right um so real per- person fan fiction doesn't need to worry about the law most of the time like yeah. they could just have fun mm-hmm. um <laughs> good for them let them go at it yeah <laughs> the final thing that i wanted to talk about and this is not there is no legal precedent for this um but it, it's whether or not fan fiction itself has copyright protection. Mm-hmm. So some of these sites like fanfic.net and AO3, if you wrote fan fiction, you know, you can, and somebody like takes it and publishes it on a website you don't want it on, um, like cross publishes it or something like that, mm-hmm. you can contact them and they'll typically take it down. That's usually in their website, like rules. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it doesn't have anything to do with the law. So, it, you know, it's I feel like it's interesting to try and evaluate it when it's like, okay, we're looking at all of these elements. It's not copyright infringement. So if it met all of these elements and it was fair use, does it then have copyright protection and how far does that extend? Mm-hmm. Um, because most of copyright and like fan fiction communities, even the ones where you get it taken down off a website, they kind of operate as like a shame yeah. blacklisting things so of stealing from other fanfic authors mm-hmm. and stealing, you know, story elements, what have you. Yeah. You know, it's mostly just looked down on, on as a community because obviously this would never be taken to court. Like it would never get that far. But right. I do think it's interesting to think about like whether or not these are actually copyrightable yeah. as like products of their own. Mm hmm. Or if they ever really need to be, if the shame works effectively, mm-hmm. you know, of just like, um, you know, if you know that you're, if you were found out to be copying someone's work or, you know, publishing it, you know, as your own or whatever, and people found out about it, like, I feel like those kinds of communities especially are so, like, tight-knit in the sense of, like, um, that baseline, like, camaraderie of even just being a part of these fandoms, like, mm-hmm. they'll immediately turn against you. Like, you're not right. really going to get any real attention from it unless you crave this negative attention. But I don't really see anybody really, especially like, for this kind of work. Writing a whole time, like, fanfic. Oh, right. And, like, it's different than, like, a Twitter post or right. something that's, like, easily cop- copyable. It's, like, three sentences, whatever. Like, it's not the same kind of level of, like, I don't think someone's going to dedicate their online life to doing something right. like that. Especially in a place that's, like, so, like anonymous like yeah there's usernames and stuff like that and like you know if you get really famous and start doing other deals like Anna Todd has then you like you know attach your face to it but it's very easy to just be kind of like you're just some person just some person exactly username yeah yeah and I think about it too you know going back to 50 shades of gray I saw this TikTok obviously we will talk about that we will have like a whole month of episodes about Twilight yeah um but I did see a video where someone was talking about the original fanfic before it became Fifty Shades of Grey, Master of the Universe, I think it was called, by Snow Queen, Nice Dragon. (laughs) Um, But people in that community didn't like her as an author because the person on the TikTok, at least, was claiming it was because she didn't use, like, beta readers within the community, and Hmm. she didn't beta read for anyone else, which to me seems odd. Yeah. Um, But also that she stole elements from other stories, but what they meant by that was that she was stealing tropes commonly used Mm. in other Twilight fanfics. Oh. Um, and so it's like copyright protection in that sense is interesting to me because you cannot infringe on tropes. Like yeah. tropes are not copyrightable Mm-mm. in any way. So it's like if you write fake dating, you don't have a claim on that. That is not copyrightable. That would be so bonkers. Right. It's like that would be way, way overreaching. Um so it's like those sorts of things where it's like she wasn't liked in the community. Obviously, she has done completely fine for herself. But this idea of like stealing from other creators and then it's like, is it actually stealing or is it things that like in a copyright sense, you wouldn't be able to copyright those things. Right. You know, are do they actually apply mm-hmm. or is it just like they're like, oh, this is too similar to something I read because it had the same tropes. Right. And it's a fan fiction about the same character. So it's going to naturally be similar. Right. 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 Um, but anyways, I just find that kind of interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, like the shame can is like a double edged sword. Like it can right. work too well in the sense of like it's overcompensating and going you know, going for things that, you know, wouldn't even be in the realm of copyright at all. That's so interesting. Right. right. And it, you know, it I think it's interesting to look at it as far as like smaller fan fictions in a community where mega fan fictions exist. So mm-hmm. all, going back to all the young dudes, I mentioned that one because it is not only the most popular fanfic in the Harry Potter world, but on AO3 at all. Yeah. Um, it is insanely popular. Um, 
you know, writing fan fiction now, it's like, auto, like if you're writing about, they call it the wolf starship, but it's, you know, Remus and Sirius. Mm-hmm. If you were writing about those characters, you were automatically compared to this other piece of fan fiction. Right. Um, and so it's like, is it more, like, are you more likely to be excommunicated from this? Is it more difficult to write than mm-hmm. just can being compared to the original content? Right. Because I think also Harry Potter is interesting to look at because the fan fiction community as a whole is kind of like fuck jk rowling like yes that's kind of the idea so it's like you don't really get compared to canon because canon is easily disregarded because nobody cares about the author right yeah so it's like it's a very different world but it's like you are somehow affecting the original content of this other fanfic right like they have a lot more respect for that fanfic author than they ever would have for jk rowling at this point in time right 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 um it just it creates an interesting like bubble mm-hmm. i think in like fan fiction communities because sure. some of them are a lot smaller harry right. potter is the biggest by far yeah and it has been like for years i mean right. s- you know since the first book came out yes um, it is interesting too with like um obviously like the jk rowling stuff didn't just come out like when the pandemic hit it was, you know, b- boiling under the surface for a while there and, you know, coming up. But it is interesting how, like, many people, like, gravitated back towards, like, these fan fiction websites during the pandemic and, like, mm-hmm. more fanfics have, be- um, have been read and also been written in, like, this kind of, like, time period. And especially, you know, I think it's, like, especially with the J.K. Rowling stuff in the beginning, it was a very much, like, a people were trying to educate her kind of thing and being upset with, like, her things but like trying to get her to like come around and it's like since then has been like just staunchly like she's unsavable like right fuck her all that stuff started in 2016 right so it's like by the time we get to 2020 lockdown yeah everybody's like been like fuck you she's like dead to the world right she's two years out from being praised by putin yeah we we've been well past that. <laughs> yeah, like, we're gone. So it's, like, interesting that, like, you know, there's so much fan fiction now, like, being written again about Harry Potter, like, at a higher rate than before, being read at that rate, that it's, like, not only is, like, the whole fandom just, like, pretending these books just, like, surfaced out of nowhere, but then, like, all these things, like, these people have become, like, the new kind of, like, heads of the hierarchy yeah, in yeah, this world. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because, yeah. I mean, there's stuff where I see... I mean, obviously, it's very common for fan fiction to exist of other fan fictions, mm-hmm. especially these kind of worlds. Yeah. But I've seen so much that they're like, oh, I'm an all the young dudes fan first. Yeah. And a Harry Potter fan by circumstance. Yeah. And that's very much like uh, an opinion mm-hmm. um, within that community. And, you know, you all have these other mega fics like Manicold, which is also super long and mega popular, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same, like, like you know all the young dudes goes from their first year to the time I think when Remus dies. So mm-hmm. it's like, it is a huge, like it's an epic. Yeah. Um, but it's they, as long as the series. <laughs> right. And they get this automatic respect for, you know, anything they write from that point on. And also whether or not they have also used tropes within the communities because they're so popular, it's sort of seen as like you, you did this. Right. You know, it's like you're the first one to do it, but it's just because it's the most popular and yeah. not necessarily the first, because mm-hmm. especially in Harry Potter, where it's like people have been writing fan fiction since like 2000. Right. Um, so much has been written. Obviously, a lot started in 2020 when the lockdown started because mm-hmm. a lot of people had time off work and could write fan fiction again. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, a lot of these stories probably already existed within the fan fiction world, but it's like the way that these authors are treated Mm -hmm. is like very very different yeah i don't know it's just a it's an interesting thought for me Mm because i i feel like 
these fandoms can easily go bad. Like we see this all the time. Fandoms can become like crazy. I honestly have a hard time with the, all the young dudes fandom. Yeah. Um, I, they have a lot of opinions that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's fine. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got nothing but time to kill and so much material for yes. Harry Potter. So yes. you were going to go insane with how much we talk about Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, that's, you know, that's the legality of it. If you have any we thoughts, did it, send, bros. Us a, send us a message. If you're like, you're wrong, keep yeah. it to yourself. We don't want to hear it. I'm like, we've established well before this that we are not... Um, authorities of the law we just happen to know like something we just like like, did go to law school yeah we we were trapped in debt yeah we have so much debt from this school so we did learn a little bit yeah but you know i think collectively we have what half a million dollars in debt don't (laughs) stop wait so if jp really wants to give us any of her money that would be really cool it's what we deserve um so that's perfect i'm willing to forgive her if she's gonna pay off my debt yeah um you know what that's fine (laughs) no it's not it really isn't please don't we're we're kidding but um are we i don't know uh so don't forget to subscribe to our patreon yes that'll help us out with our student loans that are gonna have to be start paying back pretty soon right for real um Um, so we're gonna get into some some other elements of the fan fiction world in the mm. next couple episodes um it's gonna be very fun and yeah. then after that we will finally get to harry potter yes the monster that is harry potter mm-hmm. um and then we'll just see from there yeah. we'll just have to we have so hang much out. content this is honestly probably gonna be the rest of the year yeah uh, maybe even well after it, honestly there's so much because it's um, already halfway through may yes. so um and that's on us for missing like two months but yeah um, well you know we're doing our best. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Thanks, guys, for hanging out. See you next episode. Uh, bye. Bye. The Podcast Rejects is a Gamer Frauds Network production. Find us on Instagram at The Podcast Rejects. For early access to all Gamer Frauds Network content and a ton of exclusive perks, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash gamerfrauds.